0: The problem that you think you're having or the issue that you think you're struggling with is almost never actually that. You have to go through almost like a testing process To eliminate other variables because that thing you think you need to learn, getting to the top and networking and all that stuff, is totally not the problem at all. Most people are focusing on the wrong things. They're thinking, oh man, in order to get the type of people I want in my life or in order to get the type of business for my real estate company, I've got to become like this person I saw on TV or like this person I saw on the internet. And it's just not true. You have to focus on your own strengths, and most people are either not cognizant of all of those strengths, have no plan to work on those if they do, or are so distracted by what they think other people's strengths are that they never actually work on developing or discovering their own. That's Jordan Harbinger, and this is The Rich
1: Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? My name is Rich Roll. I am your host. Welcome to my podcast, the show where each week or often multiple times a week, as in the case of today's show, I sit down and converse long form with some of the best, brightest, most thought-provoking, paradigm-breaking minds across all categories of health, wellness, diet, nutrition, fitness, creativity, entrepreneurship, entertainment. You get the picture. All with the idea of helping provide you, the listener, with the tools required to access, unlock, and unleash your best, most authentic self. Today, I sit down with a guy called Jordan Harbinger. Jordan is a former Wall Street lawyer turned podcast host. That sounds familiar. Uh, He is the creator and host of the wildly popular Art of Charm podcast. He's also an entrepreneur, a public speaker, and an expert in social dynamics. But actually, Jordan's been at this podcasting game a lot longer than I have for over a decade at this point, which is amazing. His show, The Art of Charm, which is also the name of the consulting and coaching firm that he co-founded and owns, has been rated one of the top 50 podcasts on iTunes. It currently gets about two and a half million downloads per month, a lot more downloads than I get, and is continuing to rapidly grow with over 600 episodes. His company is one of the best and most sought after consulting firms in the world, basically training executives and workforces and individuals and people in the military on a variety of social skills to maximize productivity, uh, employee satisfaction, and the like. I was a guest on Jordan's show a while back in 2015. That was episode 366. I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you want to check that out. And I got a couple more prefatory things I want to say about Jordan before we launch into the conversation, but first. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel, but what you wear isn't just clothes. It is without a doubt, I've been rocking Ons high performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team, from increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Okay, before we launch into Jordan and the podcast, I wanted to pause for a minute and take the opportunity to read you guys a letter that I got from a fan. Now, listen, I get tons of letters from all you guys out there, um, hundreds and hundreds, and I just, I can't express to you how much they mean to me. I'm not always able to get back to everybody, and I apologize for that, but I do read all of them, and they mean more to me than you can possibly imagine. Uh, And I thought it would be cool to read one of these to you guys. It's something I've done before on the podcast on occasion, not often, but I think it's nice to kind of... Reflect back uh, the messages that I'm trying to put out into the world and really uh, Connect with the impact that they're having on individuals out there. So let's just get into it This is a letter that came from somebody named Adithi. She is writing on behalf of her friend Siobhan uh, And it goes like this Siobhan is a big fan of rich and therefore in and of itself He would be doing me a huge favor in dedicating a copy of his book to her That said, she is an extraordinary person in her own right and somebody who embodies his values and philosophy of living. Three years ago, Siobhan, she goes by Sib, was dealing with the end of her marriage. One path to reclaiming agency in her life was through exercise. Despite never having trained before, she demonstrated the grit and perseverance she shows in so many other areas of her life and literally made herself into an athlete. Last year, 2016, she did... 10 spartan races and this year she plans to do four ironman triathlons it's an incredible transformation and you can tell why rich is one of her load stars to be clear sib is not a glory seeker exercise and nutritional changes have taught her that strength has many meanings she grew up being praised for her ability to weather difficult people and situations and today i see her discovering the value of Not only physical, but emotional and psychological strength. Constantly pushing her physical endurance has forced her to pay attention to her inner life and come to terms with very old beliefs and traumas. Training creates a space that she never had before to contemplate and engage with her much deeper self. As a result, she has become a more mature seeker of meaning in life rather than just seeking experience. And that is quite a crucial difference. Along the way, she avidly follows everything Rich does and tells everyone about it. Thank you for that. Uh, I really think he is a personal hero of hers. It's very kind of you to say. I realize that what I've described may be common to many of Rich's fans, but I can only speak to what I've witnessed. Where I see parallels and where I think Sib has been empowered by Rich's podcasts and writings are in her generosity of spirit towards others and her constant striving. She is one of the warmest and big-hearted people I know. I thought having a word of encouragement from someone she admires so much will go a long way in rewarding and motivating her. So thanks for considering this. Okay, so, you know, wow. I mean, how amazing is that? It's just awesome to receive letters like that. And it's the why behind what I do. This is what it's all about for me. You know, the podcast isn't just about diet and nutrition and fitness. It's about helping people like Sib find a holistic pathway forward, a true north to continue to grow and progress and evolve. And I'm really impressed with the changes that she has made. And Sib, if you're listening to this, congratulations. It's really amazing. And I look forward to following your journey. And please keep me posted on how these four Ironmans pan out. And more importantly, how you continue to progress and grow emotionally, spiritually, and psychologically. Um, It's a gift to be able to share a story like that. And it's a gift to be able to do what I do and to know that it's having that kind of impact on people out there uh, means more to me than you can possibly imagine. And if Sib's story stands for anything, it's that that kind of transformation um, is not only possible, it's plausible, it's completely doable for any of you out there who are listening, who feel stuck, who feel like they can't find the way forward. Uh, Latch onto her story, find hope and inspiration on that in that and start to make changes in your life that are going to reset your trajectory, get you thinking and acting and behaving in a new and more productive way that serves your best interest, your best, most authentic, highest self, for lack of a better term. Okay. Jordan Harbinger. So I got to tell you guys uh, a bit of a disclaimer here. I'm going to admit to a little bit of trepidation about having Jordan on. I was a bit skeptical to hear somebody tell me that there is a way to learn how to be more quote-unquote charming. I mean, his podcast is called The Art of Charm, and that's not really a genre that I'm super interested in. Um, And I think it's fair to say that this conversation might not be for everybody, but also I want you guys to give it a shot, give it a chance, because I think that his podcast is misnamed, mislabeled. Uh, it's really about a lot more than that. And he does have a lot of experience and interesting thoughts on human psychology. And that's something I'm definitely intrigued by. You know, what motivates people to behave the way they do? How can this be changed and improved? Because I think we all have blind spots and weaknesses in our demeanor, in our behavior, in our interpersonal communication. And I think Jordan has. Uh, a really valuable and valid perspective on this, and I think it's worth sharing. So, with that said, I give you Jordan Harbinger. Thanks for having me over to your uh, home baked studio here in
0: Los Angeles. Thanks for coming. Man. This is I like a real away. studio.
1: You got like you got like soundproofing in
0: this room and all kinds of stuff. Like soundproofing is, is a generous <laughs> yeah. term for the sleeping bag that is, I believe, nailed to the wall behind you. But yeah, the rest of it is soundproofing. But technically. You're, you live in the Bay Area, right? I do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you're, we have a we have a friend in common who's your neighbor.
0: Yeah, you, my neighbor right directly across from me. Was like, hey, you know this guy, Rich Roll? And I thought, what a weird collision of worlds. That is weird. But it does make sense because he's got a bike company and he's into fitness and he's like, he's all right. on top of it. But it's just, it shows that you're, you get around, Rich. That's right. Julian Franco.
1: I was riding his Franco bike this morning, as a matter yes. of fact. So, yeah, I love, uh, I love his company. Shout out, Julian, if you're listening. Yeah, if you and if you're not now, you're, now it's <laughs> awkward because, <laughs> Now you have to. Yeah, um, cool, man. So we've talked on the phone a bunch of times, and you know I've kind of followed your path for a little while, but today was the first day that we met. So that's right, to meet which you is and, weird because I know what you yeah. look
0: like, and you probably know what
1: I look yeah. like. Well, we have, and we also have a lot of, uh, there's a lot of sort of uh, parallels on our path. Besides uh, our mutual both, neighbor friends. That's right. Both from Michigan, right? You're from Michigan? Oh, yeah. Where are you from? Well, Michigan? I, I, I lived there until I was seven. We moved away. But my whole family and extended family is Michigan. Our Michigan yeah. people. South, Everybody went to University of Michigan. Yeah, me Southeast, too.
0: Southeast, okay. S- Southeast Michigan, University of Michigan, then University of Michigan Law School. We became lawyers, uh-huh. both of us. Now we both do shows do instead of being podcasting,
1: recovering lawyers. It's crazy. My dad went to University of Michigan Law School what, what uh, years, I assume. He graduated let's see. I think he uh I think he graduated from law school in sixty four. Okay. Yeah. Slightly before I was even so born a little let bit. alone <laughs> attending. Yeah, right. Um both recovering uh corporate lawyers. Where were you where did you practice?
0: Thatcher Profit, and Wood oh, right. on Wall Street, which uh-huh. doesn't exist anymore because of the whole uh two thousand and eight thing and the over leveraging that they right put upon themselves that was a very high-powered wall street firm it was it was fun while i was there be- i had a sweet spot because i show up i start work there they give you that cool bonus to start early and then you do a bunch of work for like i don't know nine months and they went all right we're hitting this weird slowdown everything's going to be fine by may and we don't want to let you guys go because you're a first-year associate's May is nine months away. We're just going to pay you full salary and benefits until then. And we're going to let you get experience doing smaller projects and pro bono stuff. So we started doing a bunch of that. And then, as those ran out, they were like, "You know what? You don't even need to come until we need you." And so, I basically just got paid. And then, eventually, May didn't. Nothing recovered in May. That's
1: so crazy. So you didn't us. even have the eighty hundred hour work week no. scenario. Not even close. That's unbelievable. Not even close. Wow. I basically had like you got three of those.
0: Completely overpaid to do close to nothing, or just actually nothing. There Did they was a- care if you showed up? There was a time at which they said, You don't have to show up anymore. That was when they were kind of like, Look, we're we're going to be lawyerly about this and not say that we're letting you go, but we are saying that you should definitely try to find another right. job. You were like, I wonder how
1: long I could milk this. How long can I sit I here? Anything?
0: And they're like, Look, we're going to pay you until December 31st, you know, 2008. Uh-huh. So there was an end point. To eight to it. or nine or whatever year that was. Must have been 2008. Uh-huh. And they just said, Yeah, this is when your salary and benefits run out. So. And in this, in, this is the date we're going to cut off your computer access, and this is the date where we're going to turn off your key card and da, da. So it sort of phased out gener- gradually, And they hired all these consultants to try to get us new jobs, and everybody was freaking out. But it was honestly the best thing that ever happened to me, the quote unquote "layoff," if you can even call it that, mm-hmm. because what happened was I basically was able to I was able to parlay that whole salary and benefits thing into starting this business. And you you
1: weren't. Were you looking for a job at another firm for like
0: five minutes? Uh And then I realized this is going to be really hard, and I'm going to work really hard to get another job that I kind of don't really want. And what's the point of doing that when I can just double down on Art of Charm? And then so when did you start? When did
1: you start Art of Charm? I started it while I was in law school. So oh, oh, so
0: it was already going. I see.
1: And how how did you come up with that idea, or what was the
0: genesis of? So I had uh, done when well you're familiar with this you do your summer associate essentially internship for a law firm and this guy had hired me his name was Dave and I was still you're still in law school at this point and you basically get hired by a law firm they wine and dine you and they show you how to do stuff and then they show you some basic stuff and then you come back later for the job. Well, the guy who hired me his name was Dave and he was so good at networking and relationships and He was supposed to be like the summer mentor for me, you know to show me the ropes, but he was never around and so HR basically made him take me out for coffee like hey you got to check off Mm -hmm. the mentor box on your document for the summer. Take this guy out for coffee. Because everybody else was going to see like Blue Man Group and right. going out having fancy dinners. And I was try like, to
1: convince you that it's just this amazing lifestyle that you're going to have. <laughs>
0: exactly. And and I was thinking, like I'm starting to get a feel for how this really is. This guy's never in the office. So he took me out for coffee and, and he goes, do you have any questions about what we do? And he's banging away on his Blackberry. Clearly, I was a waste of his time and I got that loud and clear. He wasn't a jerk about it. He was just busy. And I said, yeah, how come you're never in the office but all the other partners are in the office? And you know, are you just working from home? Like, how come how come you're not forced to come in like everybody else? Because I, I came in at, at, on weekends sometimes and there would be partners at three o'clock in the morning working on yeah, a Sunday. Course. And I thought, okay, these guys are all here. Where the heck is Dave? So he goes, oh, really? Did people talk about that? Did the people notice that? And I said, yeah, you know, it's something that people are saying, like you're never around. But he then exp- proceeded to explain that he was bringing in a lot of the deal flow. So he didn't really need to be in the office because he was more valuable outside the office than he was inside the office.
1: Yeah, this bifurcation between Rainmaker and uh, and the, the the people that actually have to do the work. Absolutely, right, right exactly. <laughs> so you're like, I'd rather be this guy. I'd rather be this guy. Yeah. Well,
0: It wasn't just, I would rather do this because the grass is always greener. This was more like, all right, when I was a kid, when I was in elementary school, middle school, to some extent, high school, I was kind of a brainy, nerdy kid. So I could sort of just coast and do well enough to get good grades. Not not an unusual story. College and then law school, everybody was pretty smart, but they were also screwing around because they didn't live at home for the first time in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I, I'm not smarter than everyone now, but I can outwork everyone now. So I doubled down on the work ethic and I outworked everyone in law school and in, in college, and then when I got to Wall Street, it was like, oh, crap, these are the kids who are also smart and also outwork everyone. I don't have a competitive advantage anymore. So when I met Dave and he showed me this sort of, in air quotes, secret third path to the top of the law game, aside from outworking everybody or being smarter than everybody, I latched onto to that real tight because I had imposter syndrome where I thought, I'm the guy here who's going to get fired once they figure out. Hey, look, you, this guy. I don't know how he slipped through the cracks. Mm-hmm. He's not the smartest guy in the room. He's not the hardest working guy in the room. I was a great worker. Don't get me wrong. I would still work twenty hours a day, like everybody else. But I could only work as much as everyone else. There was no outworking a lot of these people in on Wall Street. They were machines, right. especially the senior people who just had no life. They had sort of given up on having any kind of social life in a family. Mm-hmm. So, this was a an idea where I thought, all right. If I learn these skills, then in five years when we're all mid-level senior associates or whatever, everyone else is gonna know that you've gotta start networking and developing relationships, but I'll have a five-year time advantage. So I doubled down on psychology, applied psychology, trying to figure out how to create those relationships, not in an effort to be like, well, this is gonna round up my legal career, and not even only in an effort to get to the top of the law game, but mostly in an effort to go, you can't fire me, I brought in a client. Once two years ago. You know? That kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's
1: a weird it's a weird thing when you're in that law firm world. And certainly they don't teach you this in law school and they don't really teach it to you, you know, when you're a, when you're a young lawyer that, that your sort of power within the structure is is directly related to the amount of money that you're generating. And most people are just working on their billable hours and being good little students because that's what school teaches you to do. It teaches yeah. you to follow directions and to be a good little boy and girl. Yep. And then you get Get rewarded for that. But in truth, the, the world works you know quite often in a different way. And I think a lot of people on that partnership track realize too late, oh man, like if I had just channeled some of this energy into generating some big clients for the firm, I would be in equal stead, if not better. Yeah.
0: and And the problem is they also don't teach us any of those soft skills, not only in school, but once you get to the firm, it's kind of this idea that you should already know this stuff or maybe it comes naturally to you. So great, you're in a good spot. But if you well, I think there's an idea that some people are just like that, and other people aren't. Right. So but they it's, try. It's, it's not necessarily a teachable thing. And it's easier in most cases to. It's just like sales. You sales is the easiest job in the world to get, and it's a really hard job to be good at. So rather than saying, "Come, come, sign up. We're going to teach you how to sell." They go, come sign up, we're going to teach you how to sell, and then you show up, and if you're not good at it kind of right away, they just fire you because you can't make your numbers, Mm -hmm. or you fire yourself because you can't make any money because you're commission-based. And instead of saying, we're going to train you to be a salesman no matter what, they just kind of take people who have enough raw material to pack together, and then they turn that person into a quote-unquote good salesman. It's the same thing with the law firm. Yeah, gotcha.
1: So at the core of kind of what you do, it's about... It's about human psychology, sociology. It's about human behavior. And it's about uh, teachable skills to improve one's sort of, uh, you know, EQ in the world yeah. so that you can uh, advance yourself appropriately. Is that a fair description? I mean, how would it, you describe it? Definitely what you
0: do? Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, absolutely. Essentially, w- what the art of charm teaches are soft skills. And they're the soft skills that are essentially missing from. Our education growing up and that are absolutely required at the top level of, of performance so when you look at C-level executives and you look at upper management and you look at super high performers they all generally seek to be better in this area and already have a lot of natural skills and by natural I mean they've worked at it for a while not not necessarily inborn skills in this area where we find a lot of our clients coming from AOC are there's there's two groups and they're, they're really not the groups that you think. Most people assume, okay, the guys and girls that come to Art of Charm, they tie their their shoelaces together and they have tape on their glasses and mm-hmm. they, they don't know how to look people in the eye or something like that. And there's an occasional one or two guys like that every month in, in one of our programs or something like that. But mostly what we get are super high performers like Green Beret, Navy SEAL, SEAL Team 6 guys coming in because they're in the 95th percentile and they want to be in the 99th percentile. And then we also get guys and girls that say, I've been a software engineer at Amazon for six years, and I just kind of found out that I'm going to keep getting passed up for promotions unless I figure out what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because they're really great at their technical skill set, and they're really not that great at their soft skill set. So they have. And by soft skill set, you're defining that as what? So soft skills are things like persuasion, influence, uh, body language and nonverbal communication, leadership and management. And so hard skills, technical skills are I'm a really great network person architect or C++ JavaScript whiz, you know, for mobile applications, mm-hmm. whatever. Those people are super valuable. But once they get to a certain level and you go, hey, can you run a whole team and architect this whole product? The answer is yeah, we don't want Jim to do it though. Even though he's the most technically skilled guy on the team, he just doesn't he's not going to be able to handle running the Managing team as well. People. right. And so we get a lot of people who've hit this invisible ceiling who go, oh no I just realized that even though i have my own law practice and i'm really good at ip i'm never going to get the clients i want because i don't know how to go out there create relationships with people that are going to bring me business they're just good at taking care of the business when they get it
1: right okay and and so to just completely like level with you and be super honest mm-hmm. about this whole thing like when i hear like this. Oh, it's the art of charm. I'm going to teach you to be charming, and here's yeah. how you're going to be able to, uh, you know, win the girl and get the job because you're going to stand up straight and you're going to, you're going to make sure that your shoulders are back yeah. appropriately, and you're going to learn how down. to look people in the eye, right. And you're going to win in this way. And I kind of like, I, I cringe. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's, I honestly yeah. like cringe, and I'm like, how can we? move beyond this and I I only have my own experience to rely on with this and I'm somebody who's struggled with self-esteem and addiction issues and insecurity Mm -hmm. and feeling like everybody had a rule book to life except me and getting bullied when I was young. like all these things like I'm I'm a perfect candidate for a lot of the programs that you teach right but my experience has been that I've been able to kind of navigate the world and kind of confront these things and in certain Instances overcome them uh, by really doing the hard internal work. Yeah, you, know, it's you like have to do that. Self-esteem comes from performing esteemable acts. You know, character defects come from looking at yourself honestly in the mirror and unpacking what you know causes you to behave in a certain way that's at odds with you know the person you wish you could be. And a lot of that is tricky psychology and some heavy lifting yeah. and some, you know, wrestling with the dark night of the soul. And it's not like, here are the five things that you can do when you yeah. walk into a room to, like, influence people. And when you say, like, oh, well, here, you know, you want to be an influencer. Well, maybe that person doesn't have anything valuable that I would totally be worthy agree. of influence. Oh, you man, know what I, agree. I mean? So, We're on the so same page please, here. like, disabuse me of my... You know, like I don't want to be judgmental, but I have to be I have to I have to be honest with you that that's how I enter this relationship. So I want to understand genuinely better yeah. what you do and how like what you do can be distinguished with whatever I'm conjuring up sure. in my mind.
0: It's funny because the the and I totally agree with every second every single thing that you just said. Every second of that uh what do you, mini rant, maybe, or like uh-huh. uh, My monologue. I, I completely agree with that. And the reason is because what people are selling when they sell bullshitty, can I allowed to say stuff like that? You can say whatever you B- want. Bullshitty yeah. self-help stuff is they're like, like you said, the five things you need to do when you walk into a room. And when people ask me to talk about that stuff on podcasts, it's always like, <sighs> all right, I guess I'll give you a drill or two. And I have great drills for that stuff, but that's not the important stuff. It would be like if I said, all right, Rich, give me your top five weight loss tips, and you're like, okay, build an entirely new set of habits, reprogram your brain about what tastes good instead of what you think tastes good now, mm-hmm. and then do that for a really, really long time, and find some physical activity that you love that's medium to high intensity, or I'm just putting words in your right. mouth here. yeah, I got you. And people go yeah i was kind of thinking like eat kale for breakfast because Mm -hmm. it's negative calorie negative and chew on celery sticks when you want a snack and you're thinking yeah that's all fine and good but everything every one of those little bits of cool little gimmicky crap stacked together adds up to one percent of what you actually need to do and so you're absolutely right it's about heavy lifting it's about facing your demons And the things that people say, like one of the chief criticisms we get is your program's a week long. How am I going to come out the other side having improved on anything? This is just another long, dumb self-help seminar. And those people are correct in that you can't get a lot done in a week unless you have other foundational stuff laid out. So what we do is before you get into the program, ideally people generally listen to the podcast for a while, which is great. They start applying things for themselves. They find that those things work and they go, oh, okay. When I apply things, they work for me, and I can build on those skill sets. So they're mm-hmm. not coming in like, fix me, and staring at me from the couch. They come in expecting to work. Then they do a bunch of the prep work that we give them, which takes months, generally. They come in for the week-long thing that you're, you're in right now, our, our program house. Right. They come in for that week, and then they've got at least a year or two of follow-up, not only with us and online, but working on their own-ish. Right, They've got to face all that stuff. They've got to go out and apply this stuff, and they've got to work with it. And we set them up to succeed in that fashion. But anytime anybody tells you, after this three-day seminar, you're going to be able to do all these amazing things, it's complete BS. Mm -hmm. So we try not to hide the ball at all with AOC. It's always about hard work. It's always about the heavy lifting, and it's always about facing your demons. The only thing we can do is cut the learning curve. That's all we can do. We can't force you to actually do the hard work. And what what does the hard work look like? The hard work involves a lot of, I guess, what you would call exposure therapy. So if you're afraid of speaking uh, to groups, we're not only gonna drill the crap out of you during the program with speaking to groups and give you tools on how to do that, but we're gonna set you up after the program with a bunch of different classes on things you need to do. Do an improv class, take a speaking class, create a keynote, go and work that keynote Mm -hmm. in various rooms, share your feedback. Take video, post it on our family page, get critiqued that way by all the other people. We call the AOC family the program graduates and get critiqued that way. During the program, that's gonna look a lot like, oh, you're you're shy or you're afraid to go up and, and create conversations. Okay. We get people on the first day of class to we videotape them starting conversations with the way they would normally do it. And mm-hmm. this serves two purposes. People who think, I'm already good at this, their ego gets Demolished, And they can learn because their cup gets emptied out for them if they won't do it themselves before they get here. And people that are not that confident go, all right, I don't know what I'm doing. The videotape shows me that I don't know what I'm doing. Then we're able to give them some tools and pieces to make it work. And we have our improv girls come in and we have our drills and exercises during the class. And then we're videotaping them improve and they can watch themselves improve on the videotape, and we're critiquing body language, vocal tonality, eye contact, the way they sit, stand, walk, and talk, and they can watch themselves improve so that they know, they prove to themselves that it's possible, because there's no quick fix for any of this stuff. It's all about setting up habits and giving them tools, giving people tools to start those habits, but you will have to hammer the nails down in the, you have to hammer the nails down in the frame or it's not going to work.
1: Right. I guess I'm trying to, I'm trying to discern in my own mind the, the divining line between Teaching people skills that empower them to be social animals versus uh, you know the manipulation, yes. right? Like yeah, good, oh good well, point. You, you know what I mean? Because some people just start wired to be a certain way. You know, so do you ever take somebody and say? Look, man. You know, forget about speaking. You know, being a public speaker—that's sure. oh, not, yeah. not your thing. There's a lot of You that. know, why don't you double down on your strengths? And I can help you with some other things that could help. You know, maybe open doors for you. Yeah. But like, I'm not going to try to make you into a person who's going to get up in front of audiences and spin some kind of compelling yarn. I think I think there's
0: probably I think you hit the nail on the head. There's probably much more. Shining a spotlight on areas and going so, for example, if you came in and you said, "Well, I really want to get better at speaking because I want to be a speaker," my first thought wouldn't be, "Great, we're going to get you acclimated to stage and we're going to show you how to work this." And oh, you want to start conversations because you're a divorced guy and you're single? Let's give you a bunch mm-hmm. of cool ways to start conversation. That's never the first thing. That's what bad sort of self-helpy coaches, I think, do a lot. But I would probably say, "Why do you want to speak?" Well, I really need to why do you need to? Well, I'm starting a business and I know that generating business in my niche as a real estate broker, I need to be able to speak on stage to get clients. Really? Because if you're an introvert, the best way to get sta- uh, to get clients is probably not going to be turning yourself into this extroverted stage performer. It's going to be Figuring out how to serve your clients in a way that doesn't make you just drive yourself absolutely crazy fighting your nature and swimming upstream the whole time. Mm -hmm. So we would probably work on strategizing that. The soft skills that somebody would get, though, it's not about turning everyone into some sort of extrovert. I'm technically an introvert in terms of... The, the clinical definition I guess you would say is w- if you recharge by being on your own you're an introvert and this is ho- oversimplified but if you're, if you're need to go out to parties and be social and that recharges you then a lot of us are extroverted most of us are a, a blend of those two things yeah but your demeanor is extremely extroverted but is taught right because when I was in high school and college and even law school I was really shy I never talked to anybody mm-hmm. so what you're seeing now is the result of 10 years of doing a show and I don't think that everybody needs to go through and do a show for 10 years to be a functional social animal. I think most people are focusing on the wrong things. They're thinking, oh man, in order to get the type of people I want in my life, or in order to get the type of business for for my real estate company, I've got to become like this person I saw on TV or like this person I saw on the internet. And it's just not true. You have to focus on your own strengths. And most people are. Either not cognizant of all of those strengths, have no plan to work on those if they do, or are so distracted by what they think other people's strengths are that they never actually work on developing or discovering their own. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I get it. I mean, I think, you know, for me, when I'm sort of pondering what you're saying, you know, everybody comes in with their own unique version of emotional
0: baggage. Yeah. You know, and, and what they think is wrong with them or
1: what they right, think. Right. Or, or on. and I'm sure the, you know, the DSM iv can you know diagnose people into it, some buckets that you could then divide and easily identify, you know, this person needs this and this person needs this. Um, but if somebody has, you know, let's say somebody comes in and they're they have poor boundaries and they're a people pleaser. Um, you know, that's a unique set of it is. sort of psychological conditions that require, you know, sort of an understanding of what that, you know, mental terrain looks like and, and how to like address it and give that person a sense of how they can create healthy boundaries versus, you know, the type A, you know, alpha guy who comes in who doesn't understand that he's, you know, a bull in a china shop and he's annoying everyone. That's a very different Kind of protocol in terms of how to redress that and make that person sort of socially you That's, know, uh, more socially you know, in tune with the invite with his or her environment
0: yeah you're speaking my language big time the amount of the, the amount of different types of issues that people come in with that number is the exact same number of people in the room if that makes sense Right. right? So, so then like, how do you design a program around that you so gotta that keep yeah you gotta keep the programs really small so you can tailor it to mm-hmm. each person Anybody who's trying to do that cookie-cutter solution with 200 people in the room is not going to be able to do it. It's impossible. This program is 60-plus hours, five, six days long, residential, and we max it out at 11. Residential meaning they live? They live here in the oh, house wow. that you're in right now. Oh, yeah. that's, that's wild. Yeah. They have to stay here uh-huh. uh, because otherwise you're able to unplug yourself from what it is that you think you're. It, you're able to turn the pressure off by going back to your hotel and plumbing on CNN. We used to have accommodation be separate from the program, and what happened was people would go, yeah, I'm gonna be late tonight because I have dinner plans, and so on. and then all their excuse processes for not really doing this because we turn the pressure up so high during the day. Those all kick in. And you get people going, "Oh, I was so beat. I took a nap, and I just couldn't wake up. I guess I'll, I guess I'll go tomorrow instead." And mm-hmm. it's like, no, no, no. So now they kind of, for lack of a better word, can't escape us. Right? We're like they're getting re- it done. Rehab for emotional intelligence. Yeah, in many ways, yeah. in many ways, and and we find that this format works really well for a lot of our. Clients that are military because they're used to that. Um, it it's very. There's also a reason that military, aside from just logistical. Why are all these
1: military people coming to you?
0: Well, we have government. We have government units coming to us. Special forces guys, Central Intelligence Agency, and NSA guys come a lot. And what are they looking for? They're looking for ways to work better with locals on the ground if they're deployed. Uh, Other agencies, other people from other countries, and diplomats come in spades because their work as a diplomat generally revolves around topics that involve a heavy amount of EQ. Uh Wow, so how many people are you putting through these programs every year? A few hundred every year, Uh yeah.
1: There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries, all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better, Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. And so let's take it back. Like you, you meet this, you know, senior partner who's the rainmaker in this law firm he tells you about you know how he does it and so where does that where does a light bulb go
0: off in terms of i'm going to create a business
1: like that's a still that's a leap that's a mark from
0: it's quite a leap what happened was i decided i need to double down on the networking stuff and i'm not naturally good at it so if i'm going to be more like dave i got to practice so i read a couple of books. I can't remember who recommended these. It may have been him, or it might have just been what showed up on an in internet search. Right. And this was like, you know, how to win friends and influence people, and um, Dale Carnegie. I friend. don't even I don't even know what else I read back then, but that was one of them. And I took a Dale Carnegie course, and I remember listening to the guy speak and doing those drills. Have you ever done one of these? Uh uh-uh. uh Well, they basically say things like, "All right, when you meet someone, you got to look them in the eye and shake hands." And, you know, you can remember things about them, like there's this thing called the memory palace, you know, this drill?
1: Yeah, I know this. I mean, and then when you start to
0: talk about this stuff,
1: it makes me think of, like, interactions that I've had. Whatever, wherever I am, you know, yeah. meeting somebody on an airplane. Hi, they, Rich. Nice to yeah, meet you. And then Rich. they hand you their yeah. business card, and then they repeat your name like eight times. Yep. And I'm immediately turned off by this person because it feels so fake, so disingenuous. And I'm like, I don't. This this is a, an inauthentic, like encounter from top to bottom. And I want yeah. nothing to do with this person.
0: It's like Mad Libs where you just fill in the person's name, and it's the rest of it's already yeah. written but out. Jordan, in let me tell you. I'm glad you asked me that, Jordan.
1: Ugh. You know, like that, and and so it's all rehearsed. That's,
0: that plays into like my
1: spine. You know, like my I, my back goes up when I start hearing I, about this. I stuff. I definitely
0: get it. And and here's here's that's why my path is the way it is. I took the Dale Carnegie class, and I remember thinking, "All right, I'm I'm not maybe the most switched on guy when it comes to this, but I do know that the guy in the sweater vest at the learning annex who's telling me that the way to get people to know, like, and trust me. I think that's our term and not theirs, but whatever. To know, like, and trust me. If you're not getting promoted, if you're not getting in the relationships that you want and the friendships that you want, it's not because you don't have a firm effing handshake, man. It's not because your eye contact is slightly distracted. It's not because you forgot that Rich's daughter plays tennis at UCLA. That's not why people don't freaking like you, man. So when I heard that stuff, I just thought, wait a minute, this is so surface level, where's the real stuff? Where can I learn the real deal? This is not the real thing. The real thing has to be more nuanced. And so I started reading everything I could and getting my hands on anything I could. Me and my business partners, all of us, would read like Dale Carnegie, sure. We'd read some of this other stuff. And we actually started to test it, which nobody does. They just kind of go, oh, that makes sense. And then they read another book about it. We were working on this stuff and working on the body language and hiring these different coaches and consultants that we could find to work with us. And what we realized is A lot of people who write books, entire books on subjects, and this is no surprise for you, I'm sure, they'll write a whole book about something, and then when you meet them and you ask them questions about it, 50% of authors are kind of like, yeah, I don't know, I'm not Mm. sure, and you'd start to wonder, did you even write this book, or... Have you tested any of the things that you put in this book? And what we found for a lot of self-help books and things like that, the answer was no. Mm-hmm. They just put it in there. The things had clever rhyming phrases so you could remember them. And then when you tried to apply it, it worked 10% of the time. And the idea is you're supposed to blame yourself, right, when it doesn't work. And that wasn't going to work for me because I could, I could just sit there and go, oh, I didn't do it right. But if I got onto a Wall Street law firm, I managed to speak a bunch of different languages and things like that. You mean to tell me I can't learn what's in a Dale Carnegie course because I'm too dumb? That's not going to work for me. That explanation is not going to work for me. So when I get, went to all these different classes and things like that, I started to think, maybe I'm doing some of this wrong, but there's a whole lot of this that I'm doing right that still isn't working. Mm-hmm. And so we started to test and run things on our own. And we realized that, th- that most of what people are selling in self-help land is complete bullshit. So what, what did you stumble
1: upon that... Turned the table for you, or that that started to work for you. So, and you're doing this while you're still in your third year of law school, or yeah, or, this is second and third year of law school. But are you thinking
0: this is a business, or you're just trying no. to figure this out for yourself? No, I'm not thinking. Yeah, I'm right. just trying so to figure the, it out for myself. Right, I got you. Okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't thinking people should learn this stuff. I was just thinking this is pretty cool, and I enjoy. Well, doing you know,
1: it. you're going to be headed to Wall Street the following year. Yeah, and and you have this opportunity to perhaps become a protege of this. Partner, right? Maybe. So you're trying to you're trying right. to
0: get your shit straight so that you can show up at, at the best version of yourself. Exactly, exactly. And I knew I had a lot of similar baggage, like you mentioned, where I, I didn't struggle with addiction or anything like that, but I was coming from being a super shy kid, being a geeky kid, being really quiet, when always thinking like, oh, people are looking at me or something in school, like that. All that weird crap mm-hmm. that had to go because it was driving me crazy. And I realized that. I have to have an internal locus of control and figure out how I can make these changes. I'm not going to move. I've done a lot of traveling, and I realized no matter where I move in the world, I st- there I am. I'm still me, and I still have all the same crap wrong with me. It sucks that that's true. It but... does suck. Yeah. I always just thought, I'm going to change my environment, and it's going to be great there. Uh-huh. Oh, wait. It's not great in Israel. I'm going to go to Mexico. It's going to be great there. All right. Still the same bag. Uh, bag. So you, tra- you did quite a bit of travel after college. Tons. You were teaching. Were well,
1: you teaching a bunch of places overseas, right, like I, Serbia, and yeah, places like that?
0: Yeah. So I went and did my senior year of high school in Germany, and I ended up getting placed in the former East Germany, mm-hmm. and it was it was still regular old Germany at that time, but it had just gotten this is the fall of the wall plus seven years, and the family that I lived with, they grew up in a communist socialist country, and the host father who was like this physical education teacher, he just, he was so good at making connections and knowing people and getting them to do favors and doing favors for them. He showed me how that worked. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was fascinating. And I also remember thinking, well, too bad it doesn't work like that in America, which it totally does. It's just less overt. Right. Mm -hmm. And in socialist countries, it's like, what are you going to do for me? In America, we try to sort of pretend that we're not doing it that way, but we in, are. That your relationships are not quid pro quo Transactional, right. quid pro quo. Yeah, and, and, we, and I, don't get me wrong, I love the idea that we can just all be super giving and generous, and I like to think that I'm that way, too. However, the, uh, if people go out there and just go, I'm not worrying about any of that. It's, it's not true. Those people are, that's not how successful people tend to roll. So I, I went to Germany, and I thought, this is really great, and I went back to the States, and I thought, I'm this new man, and then I realized, oh, okay, I'm, st- I'm just still the same guy in a lot of ways. I grew up a lot over there, but I- but not as much. I'm not a completely different person. So I ended up going to Israel, and then there was this thing called the Intifada, which was essentially an uprising, made the area a little dangerous where I was living. So I- it was a mid-semester, couldn't go back to school, went to Mexico. From Mexico, I met a couple of diplomats. They were really influential for me. They showed me a lot of stuff that they had learned probably at, like, the farm with the CIA where they really worked. But they were showing me a lot of this really cool stuff, and I thought, this is really awesome. That stuff works really well. I wonder if anybody can learn that. And I thought, mm, they hire these people for this, you know, as diplomats for a reason. After that, I started learning Russian because that's what they told me to do uh, to get a job in government. In Mexico? Uh, I went to Ukraine. I started learning Russian, Ukraine.
1: Yeah, are you trying to angle yourself for a CIA
0: job, or I what was were you at doing at that point? Were yeah, you? I was like, did you apply to the CIA? I did, and I got a bunch of attention from them, and they still send letters to my parents' house. Uh-huh. Um, that didn't work out. Though. It, 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 it was. I found out what their salary was, and I said, "I'm mm-hmm. maybe law is better for this." Um, now, that's not entirely true. I, I did find that the bureaucracy was too much for me. It was just. I did end up working at the embassy in Panama for a while in college. And that was in, that was 2001. So my security clearance came through really Uh late and I ended up working at the embassy in Panama. Then after that, I moved to Serbia where I got a job teaching English and I had a scholarship or a fellowship from the department of defense while I was there. And then I, I, but everywhere I moved, I was able to reinvent myself, which is great. I made a lot of progress doing that. However, I still hadn't solved, like you said, done any of the heavy lifting, all of the really big issues the elephant in the room, I just kept walking around that thing. Right. I just kept walking around it until I realized I had a lot of fear around being vulnerable in relationships and that I found is a almost universally human slash especially men have that same thing. So I started talking about that on the podcast and, which is The Art of Charm and my business partner happened to be really, really good with women and he loved all the body language and networking stuff and he's like, you know... This is great for jobs, but check this out. When we mix that with this stuff that I know, we can go out and meet tons of people, and it's going to be really fun for our social life. And that took over probably the next five or six years of my life, because it started to become like a magic friggin' potion. All right. Well, so just to kind of I'm trying to anchor myself in the timeline here. So,
1: so um, after this wave of layoffs in 2008, and you have this idea to start this business, I mean, was the idea I mean so it was two thousand eight, right? So two thousand and eight. Like, yeah. was it a podcast or was it a blog? It was like, a podcast. And, and, oh, what? So you, yeah, very we started early. in two thousand and six. I know you just like you're at ten years with this thing. Ten right? years, yeah. That's insane. Like super early. I guess podcasting really started like in two thousand six, but no one was really doing it then. We started right? our, so, December
0: two thousand six is when we started. Oh, you did? Two thousand and six. Yeah.
1: So you were still you were in law school when you started a podcast. I was a two L as wow. we call it. Yeah nobody was podcasting then
0: no in fact I mean what was on the iTunes homepage at that time um tech stuff right because imagine who knew how to even access Uh tech stuff and frankly at that point if memory serves iTunes was text-based and so it was a menu that you would navigate Mm. and only the front page had album covers and it was only music if you had a show like you'd You couldn't, I mean, don't be ridiculous. You couldn't upload cover art for your podcast. That wasn't going to happen. And so you would navigate through a set of menus. So the only people that knew how to find podcasts were just big old geeks like me who were going to go deep on some blog, figure out there were internet radio shows. And we were listed with internet radio shows. So you could click on one, and it was a live stream of Soma FM out of Brussels, Belgium, playing techno music or something. Uh And then there would be... Some guy talking in one language, another language, and then this week in tech or whatever with Leo Laporte. Like those, right. those were the shows that were in there. That was it, and then we right. threw our stuff in there. And then, and the idea, the core idea was what at that time. The core idea at that time was, look, we can teach you all these dating skills, and the reason so we did it started as like a help, help, help guys figure oh, yeah. out how to like
1: meet women. It, right. it was
0: because we started teaching all the networking stuff that we were learning, and nobody gave a crap. Surprise, what did work among law students and college students, which is where where we found a lot of our audience was, oh, and also it can get you to stop being such a schmo around all the women Uh that you actually like. And so our clients, our first clients from Art of Charm, we never thought this was going to be a business. We started getting email from, we had a couple clients. One was an immigrant to Denmark who was from, I think, Ethiopia or Eritrea or something like that. And he said, I'm having trouble making friends. I'm like the black guy in my town, and I don't know what to do. So we started giving him drills and exercises to meet people. Super and we, success. Is you and a law school buddy of yours? He was a cancer biologist at the time uh-huh. in a PhD program for cancer biology. His name's AJ, and he still works. I got you. With me. And so,
1: but you guys were in school at the we same time. We were both time. in school at the same time. Yeah. And
0: so, were you? <laughs> were your like law school classmates? Did they know you were doing this? Yes, and they made fun of me to no end. Uh huh. It, some of them good-natured and some of them not so much, but uh, I remember a group of female law students, get they they met with me once in the reading room. Not I should say ambushed, but it was because they didn't tell me they were going to meet me there. They go, we want to talk to you about what you're doing, and I thought, oh crap, this is going to be like the you're a misogynist conversation at Michigan Law. So I go down and I'm just like, all right, bring like, tell me what you think the problem is and maybe we can talk about it like mature adults. And they go, we're obsessed with this. This is so fascinating. We have ideas on other show topics. And I thought like, wait a minute, you guys I thought would be antagonistic towards this because all my male friends were kind of like, this is so stupid. What a joke you guys are such losers, the, the women loved it. They loved the fact that somebody was teaching this stuff to guys because they were having as many problems as women do now, finding mm-hmm. guys that were able to be vulnerable, didn't mind getting a little bit of rapport, were able to take feedback thought about things like nonverbal communication, trust, and things like that. So th- women actually were our biggest fans, even though our audience was men. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, I got it, I got it. Uh, the idea that a podcast could be a business at that time, though, was Completely anathema. foreign. Yeah. yeah, we just, what we thought was, we'll do this, no one's gonna listen to it, except our friends and family, because who's gonna even, there's 800 shows on iTunes, no one's gonna even find us, there's too many things out right, there. 800. There are about 800. And I remember printing up these little business cards, these cheap ones, and guys who were bartenders at all the bars that we would go to, they would ask for stacks of these because they were always like, uh, they would always see these guys like striking out. And we're like, give them the card, you know, and tell them to download Mm -hmm. the show. And so we built this little cult following in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and we started meeting up with some of the guys. they're all good, really good, normal people. These aren't like these weird predator type guys. They were all just like lovable, dorky guys like us who wanted more experience doing this. And So we had the client in Denmark and then another couple of regular Joes. And then we had this mortgage banker from California go, how much is your phone coaching? That's all we had on offer at the time. And I said, it's $100 an hour. And he goes, you guys are way too cheap. And he gave us like a $5,000 retainer at this point. Mm. And he goes, you should raise your prices, but not for me, because I gave you the idea to raise your prices. And I said, all right, fine. So we started teaching him a bunch of stuff. He taught it to his sales team. And then he flew us out to California to teach his sales team directly, because they were they were converting really well right. with some of the body language and nonverbal stuff that we were teaching. And he goes, you guys teaching dating stuff is, is small fries, small potato bullshit. You guys have a much bigger idea here. You just don't even get it. And he was right, we didn't get it. It took us years to get it.
1: Right. But that you had that sort of cornerstone first corporate client, right? To kind of you know confirm that you were onto something. Yeah. And in terms of developing the curriculum that you began to teach, like how did you arrive upon these, you know, these sort of skills and 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 tools and you know, this, this sort of test that you're giving people to sure. you know, bridge this gap. So
0: what we knew is that we didn't know enough about this stuff to really be legitimate coaches at this point in time or trainers or consultants. It was very tempting to go, oh, all right, this is a business now and then start doing what everybody else does on the internet, which is claim that they know how to do something and that mm. they're an expert in some area and then somehow make money off of it. And I I still hate that idea. I think it's such crap that people do this. There's a lot of that. I think it's just this outright scam. And that's why when people go, how do I know this stuff works? I'm like, don't buy anything from Art of Charm. Go listen to a couple episodes of AOC. Try the stuff that you hear. If you think it's crap, then it's crap. If you like it and it works for you, now you have something free that you tried. Like I don't want to talk anybody into anything. But especially back then, I just thought, I'm not going to hold myself out as a coach. This is ludicrous. I've been doing this for a couple of years at most. And, um, and we started to, to eventually figure out, all right, we need to have a real curriculum, but we don't really know how to get it. So we had been picked up by Sirius XM satellite radio at the time, right about a year and a half after we started the show. Uh-huh. And they said, you can get guests and you can request them to come to the studio in New York. Cause we had moved, I'd moved to New York to work on wall street. And I said, Awesome. So I started emailing all of these authors, all of these high-end. She's so doing consultants. a
1: serious XM show while you're a first-year associate at, at yes. Walktel. Where is it? Walktel. It was oh, a Thatcher, Thatcher profit yeah. yeah.
0: And pro tip: not a great idea. But luckily, <laughs> yeah. our show was on it. They know? PM. Did these? Did the firm know that you were doing it? They they did and they didn't. So the guys and girls, I should say, the people on my level, they all knew. The people a couple rungs above me, they all knew. The secretaries, they all knew the partners a few of them knew but not everybody in upper management had no idea so mm-hmm. what it looked like was every friday thankfully only on fridays it was a little bit more palatable at 7 p.m. i would go downstairs and i would run like to you know two blocks to the train not even go up to midtown go up to uh, the this this building the what is it the, there's a publisher mcgraw hill building is where it is go all the way up there do my 2 hour show come back to the office and slip in and go, all right, everybody, catch me up. And my friends would go, all right, we're doing this, we're doing this. You go right. handle these little doctor people. Leave, leave your uh, suit jacket on the chair so it looks like you just ran out to Exactly. The and, and sort of the idea was, if anybody asks, I went to dinner or something like that, or I went to go get... Never even happened the partners. They would be listening to the show in the conference room where everybody was working while I was doing it They loved it. Uh They didn't care. It was just funny that I had a life outside the law firm I think they just how dare you how dare you but also (laughs) they were like this is really cool Uh They would call in with fake Fake questions or real ones, you know, or they'd be making fun of another guy at the firm on air It was really fun And we started to grab guests that were way, we were punching way above our weight in terms of if we were podcasters and I said, hi, Robert Cialdini, can you come and talk about your book Influence? He would have gone, Mm -hmm. go fly a kite. I don't even know what a podcast is. Yeah, because you're on Sirius. But I'm on Sirius. So he's going to book a ticket and fly to New York and talk about this on our show. So we started to do that. And get paid. like is there what was that like at that time like you getting a do you get a decent paycheck for doing that from Sirius or how does that how did that work Sirius didn't pay that much but what it did do is we were allowed to advertise Art of Charm podcast on the show So you're still doing the podcast and the I got gotcha. you Still doing the uh-huh. podcast and right. so we were able and to how, And like what kind of downloads are you getting at this time Maybe like <laughs> 70,000 a month uh-huh. which is funny cuz that's what we get on like our lowest day now right if, if i got seventy thousand downloads on anything but a sunday this time i would probably think something's broken mm-hmm. but back then it was the th- we danced in the kitchen when we saw 24 downloads our first week because we thought people are listening to us all over the world there was like one at south africa two people in canada a bunch of people in ann arbor michigan that we told about the show and one guy in new york and uh-huh. a couple in california and that was a, we were stoked Um, So we started to fly these experts in and basically just ask them questions that we had, give us drills and exercises that they would come up with. And that was the beginning of our curriculum. And we didn't even think about teaching it in live programs until one of our phone coaching guys was a street performer. He's a well-known illusionist magician type guy. And he he started doing a street performance style show. And he goes, all right, I need to learn some of the stuff that you guys are teaching. And we were teaching him stuff on the phone. And he goes, look, I just want to come and learn from you guys for a week straight. I can't be doing this once a week for an hour crap. I got to learn from you for a week. I'm going to go then prep for my show, which I think he was doing in like Vegas or Mm -hmm. something like that. And then I'm going to bounce. And we said, we don't really do that. And he goes, I'll give you five grand, which for him was a pittance. And for us was ridiculous amount of money. And we said, you got a deal. And then we looked at each other and said, crap, we got to figure out what we're going to teach this guy. Mm -hmm. So we, we assembled the curriculum. We actually hired a consultant who teaches how to create things for like college courses and basically a product designer, curriculum designer Mm -hmm. paid that person, essentially all of the money that that guy gave us developed the first iteration of the curriculum. We've been iterating on that for 10 years. I gotcha.
1: That's cool, man. So you you, you got some juice early on, people who are wanting what you were selling and, and that had to feel good to get like that kind of solid feedback. And then when the law firm thing kind of goes away, you're already kind of set up, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It So was, uh, you had it, a lot of momentum at that point. We had a lot of momentum. We had a lot of momentum at that point. Um, not as much as I probably should have. If I were where I was then and somebody, or if you were sitting in, in that same that same seat, should I quit my law job? I have this and this and this going. I would say absolutely not. You're so much further away from mm-hmm. being a standalone than you think you are. But at the time, I kind of had no choice because the economy was in the tank and they were laying us off, for lack of a better word. Right. But also, I was young enough and naive enough to think, we're just inches from this taking off, which is a joke. I mean, we weren't. We were like years right, away.
1: Right, 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 right. And are your, do you stay in touch with some of your Michigan classmates? Are they all just oh, lawyers yeah. all over the country right now and yeah. judge judges and stuff like lawyers, that? Lawyers, uh,
0: probably, yeah. yeah, clerks by now, maybe some judges in smaller courts. So, wait, are you, so you graduated
1: years. law school in 2006? 2006. 2006, yeah, 2006. 2006. 2006. Right on. And, uh, and, and 10 years of doing the podcast, it's crazy because you've, navigated this you know the whole gamut of this podcast world from 800 podcasts on itunes at the time to what is it like 400,000? You know, I, I mean most of those are defunct <clears throat> yeah they're all i don't know how now. many are really active podcasts still i don't more, know more than 800 though probably yeah uh and what is your like how do you when you look back on that uh like let's talk about the state of podcasting a little bit because it's become like a thing. You know, like I was. It's trendy unlike, as
0: hell right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, unlike you, I was not an early adopter, but still. In, when I started mine in 2012, it wasn't like a cool thing to do. You know, it wasn't like it is now. Yeah. And there, when every, did it people, start getting trendy? Do you remember? I don't even was, know. It was. It was when Serial blew up. I think was that 2014 I think it or was 2015? like 15 two years ago? Maybe, year, year, maybe okay. two years ago. Twenty maybe 2015 I don't know it I, became I a like, thing yeah. and then suddenly like everybody's I don't know about you but like I get a lot of calls from people saying tell me how you started your." Po- I'm thinking about starting a podcast which was not a call that I was getting you know in, in 2013 or 12 you know yeah I do know um, and I that's do know. interesting in its own right so how do you think about like the art of podcasting and the business of podcasting, and what have you learned, and you know what mistakes have you made? I think that
0: the business of podcasting is something that you should not do under pretty much any circumstances. I and well, you
1: read? Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you if you read Ryan
0: Holiday's article on this, but he actually he, quoted you co- and the reason he wrote I that article. That. Yeah, the reason he wrote that article was because <laughs> him and I talked about podcasts, and we were just talking about it for whatever reason, and I said. I'm thinking about why I, I started talking about. Oh, I know why I was. I had given a couple of talks. Why it's please for the love of God, don't start another podcast was the title of his article. And I think my talk title was Why You Shouldn't Start a Podcast. Mm-hmm. And it was basically very similar points. And he was at the roundtable where I was giving this talk. And we started talking about that afterwards via email and in person. And the reason is because of the reasons he mentioned it's trendy. It's much more work than people think. Mm -hmm. You can't outsource recording, really. I mean, if you don't want to do your show one day, there's no show. you can't scale beyond your personality. You can't scale beyond your personality. And frankly, I know you have a popular show. It's a lot of work. Most people think, oh, I, I can talk for days. All I need to do is clip on a microphone and then, I don't know, like upload it or something. No. That's not how it works. There's so many hidden moving pieces. It's got to be a show. Otherwise, your podcast is just you and your friend making really uninteresting sort of off microphone breathing into the you know device jokes that are inside jokes that then get uploaded that nobody has no value for anyone. Well, especially now with so with a with such a glut of content
1: and uh you know the pressure on the average consumer to make to be more judicious and how they yeah. allocate their time and what content they're gonna consume and what they're gonna pass over. So you're seeing the quality of podcasts increasing, I think. And that's why you're seeing the ascendancy of all these like people that worked underneath Ira Glass now yes. starting their own shows. Exactly. Um and it is a lot more work than I think people realize, for sure. I mean, the amount of work. I, I mean, you and you do multiple shows. You do like shows. I do four shows, four shows, a, shows week. a week. Like to me, just doing one a week is like almost a full time job. I sure. tried to go to two, and I was like, this is unsustainable. I don't know how I could, you know, could possibly do that. So, uh, I don't know how you do what you do, but I think there's a lot of people who think it is easy. And I think the biggest sort of mistake that I see people making is they get into podcasting not because They have a love of the medium or an appreciation for, uh, you know, what the what the format is is strengths are, which is like a long form conversation. Mm. Um, But they see it as a lead generator for something else they're doing. Yes. And so they'll do some bullshit, crappy 30 minute Skype interview that they're ill prepared for, that they haven't done any research around that and they're not really even that interested in speaking to the person i've been on the receiving end of this because when you write a book you do a lot of these and and then i'm like is anybody listening to this and i would say more and more the answer would be no no
0: yeah I, i think the typical podcast and this is Aside from the people that bought a product that's supposed to be like, here's how you do it. Write down these questions. These are what you ask every single guest that you have on your show. What's your favorite food? What's your favorite book? What's your mm-hmm. favorite piece of software? What apps do you use to stay in shape? Um, what's your workout routine like? I would imagine these are questions that you get so often right. that you will Or, or punch questions that,
1: that quickly reveal that they don't know
0: anything about. Me or whoever else they're interviewing. Were you a born natural athlete? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had any health challenges? Like, I'm, I'm envisioning you getting questions like, Were you always an athletic guy? And it's like, Did but you look at my effing bio? Even beyond that, them feeling, seeming,
1: or feeling bored doing the interview. And it's like, If you're bored doing the interview, <laughs> is, is somebody <laughs> supposed to be interested in listening to this? You know <laughs> oh, what I mean? God. So, and
0: that's okay. I, I think used that, to do that though. You know, I'll fucking admit it. I used to just do. What do you call it? Mail it in. I used to mail it in. Uh huh. Um, well, ten years, ten years
1: of doing this. Four shows a week. Not every show is going to be a home run, I would imagine, right? But right. like, what have you? What What is you know? What have you learned? Like, what has been the biggest sort of teachable? Uh, moment or experience in your thousand
0: episodes or however many you've done. I actually, I should count them because they're not all numbered the same way because we have Minnesota Monday and Fan Mail Friday. You're right. I should look into that. But uh, the biggest takeaway from me, one of the biggest takeaways from me was a lot of shows out there are trying to go, like you said, it's a lead gen thing or whatever. So they go, all right, I got to talk about things that people are interested in with people that are interesting so they go it's called stand on the shoulders of giants they actually have a term for this and what it means is look up who's popular in your niche so you're a fitness guy You have an audience in the fitness niche, and they go, all right, so I'm going to interview Rich Roll, and I'm going to interview this guy, and this guy, and this guy, and this guy, and and the trainer from Biggest Loser, or Jillian Michaels, or whatever, and they got this whole list of people, and they're a fitness guy, too, and so once they release their show with all these authoritative names on it, they're by osmosis, also authoritative in that niche, and... What that unfortunately means is that every single person who has that same outcome in mind of being a fitness guy or a diet guy, a nutrition guy, they've all got interviews with you, Ben Greenfield and Jillian Michaels and 50 Mm -hmm. other people, and they're all the same because their their outcome is not, I want to make a great show that's really valuable. Their outcome is, I want to breed authority for myself. So when I do the show, when I do The Art of Charm, I'm only thinking... What's gonna be really interesting for the audience to learn from this particular guest? And then in addition to that, sort of one step outside that, people often ask, how, you gu- how do you guide your brand? How do you know who you're gonna have on the show? How do you select guests? They always think there's some crazy Google-level algorithm for me to go, well, their authority factor times their networked audience, times their social media, times their da-da-da. It's nothing like that. All I look for is, am I interested in this person? So mm-hmm. when I interviewed you so many years ago, now somehow probably like three or four, I don't know. Actually, like, I don't know how long it's been. I don't think it's been that. long It might long have ago. only been two or three years. Yeah, ago. I think it was
1: like two, two and a half. It or seems like a like long time
0: ago for some reason, but maybe not. I guess no. I'd already moved up to San Francisco. I remember uh-huh. talking to you in my kitchen. Um, even back then, I wasn't nearly I'd like to think as as decent of an interview as I am uh, like to think I am now. But I was I was interested in what you were doing because I'd heard from probably Ben Greenfield or some mutual friend that you used to be this like overweight dude that smoked and now you're like this jacked skinny mm. guy who does ultra endurance stuff and I thought how is that even possible Well, what is, that doesn't sound right I think it's probably I don't even know if I believe this so I started researching it and then I was like I really this is interesting for me so I had that conversation and people go why'd you have a fitness guy on your show it's about psychology and I'm like well If you actually listen to the interview, there's a lot of psychology in there about self-development and growth and overcoming addictions both mm-hmm. to, I think, fast food and cigarettes, among other things that we probably yeah. talked about? I, n- I never smoked. Uh, uh, that so must that, have been somebody it, else. But I was,
1: but I was uh, definitely a junk food addict yeah. and overweight and, you know, addiction recovery and all that kind of stuff. But, no, I appreciate that. I think, you know, I would say the same for my litmus test for guests. I don't, sometimes I'm, like, out and I'm like, oh, man, I need somebody right away. You yeah, there's know? that. Like, that happens. That happens from time to time. I try to avoid that. But, I'm not looking for who are the most influential people to have on the show that are going to boost my profile. Right. I'm looking for people that, like, sort of trigger something inside me that makes me want to learn more about them. And it's, an, it's like a, an intangible thing that I can't even put words to, but I know it when I see it. And I'm sure you have people email you all the time and say, oh, you should interview yeah. this person. This person would be perfect. And maybe on paper they are. Um, yeah, there's and, a lot of and that. Then you, but you're like, yeah, but I'm not feeling it, you know. And I and and I used to just say, well, everybody seems to think I should interview this person, mm. and then I do, and then it's a lackluster yeah. interview. And so I've learned
0: like it has to be a self-generated thing. It does. It it does. In it not only does it come through in your voice when you're interested in the person you're talking to. Not only does it come through in the fact that you're motivated to research that person more and make a better show that way. It shows up in it shows up in like this weird – I haven't probably articulated this very well and I probably won't here. It shows up in this weird way where, look, your audience listens to you a lot. Chances are. Most people who are listening to shows listen to something like 60 to 80% of that show just a kind of across the board. And they listen to every episode of that show almost all the way through. Mm-hmm. So they're on the same page as you 60 to 80% of the time, which means that unless you choose something that is just wildly in left field – You're going to be in the same zeitgeist collectively as the rest of your audience is, no matter what. So I've done shows where I talk about my trip to North Korea, right? And people go, oh, you did a show about North Korea, but your show's normally about human behavior. The audience loves it because Mm -hmm. they just go... Wow, you applied a lot of the AOC teachings and you applied them to the Stalinist propaganda that you saw in North Korea. Fascinating episode. Because people who are listening of that to that, they're not necessarily interested in my life per se. They're interested in the same things that I'm interested in, and those interests overlap and dictate where I want to take a vacation, what languages I'm learning, uh where I'm going to do special special experiences and things like that. They all sort of congeal into this This glob of similar interests, similar principles and things like that. There's very few things that I could talk about on Art of Charm that I think would be of zero interest to my listeners. I've even talked about language learning because I'm learning Mandarin and Mm -hmm. that resonated well with a bunch of people. Because you're going to be going back to the CIA, right? That's right. You're yeah. You're to be I using this
1: podcast as uh, some kind of uh, propaganda machine That's for right. whatever your hidden agenda is. There's little
0: signals in the back, uh, in the <laughs> yeah. rear of the show that you can't hear that control your mind. <laughs> right, okay. People will believe that. I should be careful <laughs> yeah, when I say I stuff know. like that. All right. Well, so
1: help me understand the the, the essential sort of psychological. Profile of the average person who comes to you for help and and how you get them over the hump. So I would imagine that it would be fair to say that it's somebody who feels like they want an extra edge. We've talked about this earlier, but like wants that little extra edge, you know, professionally or is having difficulty sort of socially navigating their environment. Yeah. And so, you know, what is what is something that you could provide, like somebody who's listening to this who might find themselves in that scenario as we speak to help them kind of you know think differently
0: about how to approach those uncomfortable situations. Sure. So going back to some of the this is funny cuz we talked earlier about not having 10 snappy ways to dress better or to be more confident, but mm-hmm. I will do you want a practical drill or do you want something more sort of Well, maybe the give me the general and then give me the practical. Sure. So for for a lot of people, what it comes down to, and it, like I said, the number of issues in the room is the exact same number right. of people in the room. But the the general principle here is that the problem that you think you're having or the issue that you think you're struggling with is almost never actually that. You have to go through an, a, almost like a testing process to eliminate other variables. Because when people call, they usually say something like, Hey, you know, I'm recently divorced and I'm just having a lot of trouble navigating the social sphere or or I moved to a new town and I'm really finding it hard to make personal and professional connections because the last place I lived was my hometown. and I grew up with everyone or I'm in a new job and it's much more corporate or much different mm-hmm. environment than the last one I was in. And then we get the military guys that come in for just completely Totally different reasons, which we can sort of push them aside for now because it's it's very specific to right. military stuff that nobody cares about listening to this probably or very few and So what we find is we go all right We have them fill out an intake document on the phone with one of our coaches generally It used to be me I used to do all these myself and it's something like all right. Is there any addiction problem? What was your household like with your parents growing up? Do you have brothers and sisters? How old are they? What do you do for work? Uh, how long have you lived in your town? What other areas, what do you want to focus on when you come in? And it's it's funny because people will say, well, I want to focus on making a new social circle in this new town because I just moved and I want to reinvent myself and I got this great new job. Great. And then you look at the rest of the intake document and it's like, Yeah, I did have addiction problems growing up. Yeah, my parents did. Well, I have brothers and sisters, but I don't talk with any of them anymore. Oh, my relationship with my parents isn't that great. And they come in and they go, all right, I'm ready to learn some strategies about how to make a new network in this town and schmooze and network in my corporate environment so that I can get to the top of this. And we go, got good news and bad news. The good news is you're in the right place. The bad news is that thing you think you need to learn about getting to the top and networking and all that stuff is totally not the problem at right, all. Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that for sure. And I think
1: in general, human beings are not very good objective arbiters no. of what's going on with them. And no. g- You know, just speaking for myself. Like, Same here. Yeah. I find my voice intolerable. I can't listen to my own podcast. I think that, you know, I'm constantly waiting for the shoe to the shoe to drop and to, everybody to find out that I'm this oh, fraud and imposter I, I, syndrome. I'm just spinning all kinds of crazy, you know, uh, insecure yarns in my mind that I've fabricated. I need solid people like my friends and my board of advisor people around me to give me that objective feedback about you know where where I'm doing well and where I'm going you know awry. Sure. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't have that or don't value, you know, that kind of relationship with the people that they spend time with. So, we're all kind of spinning in these orbits without any kind of
0: <laughs> real understanding of where we're at. It's so true and and honestly, I would be lying if I said I'm so self-aware that I don't have to worry about that. The truth is everybody has blind spots or they wouldn't freaking be called blind spots and the only way to get them is from like you said the board of Advisors people that you surround yourself with that you have a really great trusting relationship with and Ideally you're showcasing enough vulnerability with them and them with you that they don't have to color their feedback or sugarcoat things And you can get really good honest and frankly insightful Hopefully feedback the problem is a lot of us only have one or zero people in our life that we can really depend on that are insightful caring and are willing to be vulnerable enough with us and us with them to get that kind of feedback in the first place the
1: willingness to be vulnerable is super important and I think it it it's something that is is very tricky um, for a lot of people particularly men who see it as a weakness. Yeah, yeah, they're terrified of it. They don't see anybody else in their environment doing it and it's the last thing that they're you know, that they're inclined to do sure. without some serious prodding and encouragement. And my experience has been nothing but positive that when I'm willing to go there and be vulnerable, that's that's the path to healing and that's the path to empathy with
0: others. I, I definitely agree with that. And I think the problem is that, or one of the problems with that is that getting to that point can be excruciatingly painful if you've built up enough scar tissue around your issues that getting down to brass tacks getting down to the raw stuff it's gonna hurt just getting there yeah because you're gonna
1: you kind of have to burn the house down to rebuild it right and if you have people coming to you uh let's say you know it's a real estate salesperson and they want to learn how to kill it in their area and they're what like my wife calls super dupers like you meet them and you're like hey i'm jim how you doing super duper you know like they're everything's always great yeah you know like when i see people like that i'm like that guy's hiding something well you know like i don't trust that guy because i don't feel that that's a genuine authentic expression
0: of of where he's at right now the the cliche yeah the cliche is that person going and crying in their car after the meeting because Mm -hmm. they have nothing else to do and they can't go home because their wife lives there with another guy or something like right. It's like a cliche when you see people who are putting on that and, front. But it, and beyond that, the the sort
1: of mask and the artifice that you have to throw up to try to pretend like everything is cool requires so much energy, um, and it's like that house of cards, right? But the idea that you would let somebody in and be and tell them like you're you're not uh, you're not Superman and you're not impervious is too frightening, and
0: so you create this prison around who you are that keeps you trapped. Well, because if you open the door, the, all the the wind will come in and blow the house of cards down, and frankly, that... And then who you, who are you? What's that? And then who are you? And then who are you, right, of course. And, and additionally, what happens if you let someone in, and then they don't like what they see? Well, that would crush you even more, according to the construct that you've built in your but mind. But that's the confirmation bias they already have.
1: Of course. They have, yeah. you know, like, oh, if they knew, then they would hate me, right?
0: Yeah. And, and, and we, we get some guys like that in but i would say that 60 70 plus percent are the guys that go hey you know i am okay in this area or i'm good in this area but i really want to be very good at it because i'm at the beginning of my job and this is how i'm going to set myself apart in my career or uh, and again the military guys are on a separate plane or they go look you know i'm i'm in a new relationship i want to make it really great or i just got out of a relationship i need to figure out who I am outside of this relationship. Uh, there's a lot of guys that are, like I said, hitting the invisible ceiling in their career where they go, I don't know what the issue is. I just know I'm not getting promoted to management level stuff. And I know it's got something to do with me. And it's not what HR says or what their manager says because no one's going to say, you know, the problem, Joe, is that people just, they think you're kind of a dick. Mm -hmm. No one's – they're going to go, well, we're looking for somebody who has a little bit more experience managing Java mobile applications to run this team. And you go, I've got eight years of experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get you on the next one. We're saving you for something else. They give you a euphemism. But really, the reason is they either can't tell you because it's legally to their disadvantage or, frankly, they can't even articulate the reasons why. They just Mm -hmm. know that you're not the guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah and that and
1: that person has a light dusting of self-awareness to know enough that it's it's it is probably something that they did yeah. but they don't know they can they don't have enough self-awareness to understand what that is let alone to know how to begin the process of
0: unpacking it so that exactly. you can transcend it. What we and what we do at our boot camps and things like that often is I would say 20 25% of the time the recommendations for post-program follow-up are Everything we do for the follow-up program follow-up generally, and also, you should probably see a therapist every couple of weeks, because now that we found out this thing with your parents or your brothers and sisters and da-da-da-da, that's outside of our level of qualification, and you're going to need to do that, handle that with an mm-hmm. ongoing set of therapy. I don't want to convey for a second that what we do is like, instead of getting your shit together with a therapist or even a medical professional, I think- that the reason a lot of therapists send their clients to us after they've done some therapy is because they can't teach some of the tactical, technical, and hands-on stuff that we do. But those are very two distinct things, and I just want to make sure that on this show I'm very clear that we're not doing that whole thing where it's like, don't go to that doctor, go to the Tony Robbins experience Mm -hmm. or whatever. We're not doing that at all. Well, growth and
1: evolution, that's a lifelong journey. There's nothing that you're arriving at, like, oh, at the end of this period of time, you will be, you know, in this place where you will no longer be required to (laughs) be introspective and take inventory of how you're behaving and living and, you know, and, and acting. So, you know, I'm glad to hear that. So, how do you, like, right now, when you look on the internet, there's so much snake oil there's so many people oh, gosh, with man. you know crazy overpriced ebooks and there's a lot of um <clears throat> you know kind of uh emails sort of subscription-based email services that get you stuck in these funnels these sale funnels that you can't escape from unless you buy a certain product <laughs> and yeah and it's it's i think for the average person it's difficult to discern like what's real from what's not real right so how do you yeah. kind of talk about that uh, man, and think about that
0: most of that stuff is not real and i know people are like but i assume art of charm stuff is real that's one of the reasons why i say don't buy anything at first like don't buy our course right now don't don't even don't even look at the freaking sales page just listen to the podcast because if people aren't willing to give away the information for free In my opinion, there's kind of something wrong there, and that's not necessarily true for every niche. If you're doing some sort of very specific type of plan for them particularly, you have a right to charge for that. It involves your time and energy and effort. However, for the information itself, as far as I'm concerned, that stuff should be free, and that's why we do so many shows for AOC. Mm -hmm. I like that because it saves me from going, look at all these snake oil salesmen, but we're different. Just apply what you're hearing. If it works for you, there's more where that came from. Most of it's free anyway. But I think that it's very common now to see snake oil online for personal growth because it's really hard to freaking quantify whether or not it's your fault that it didn't work or whether or not the product is complete Mm. malarkey. It's different with things like fitness and nutrition, although there's just as much slash more snake oil because it's a bigger niche. Well, there's a lot of craziness, and there's crazy world. wacko yeah. stuff as well. Like um, one thing I heard recently that was I I, I would have to even mention this to you, but it. Um, I probably, this is the thing I bring up to all my fitness buddies, that HCG diet, have you heard of this? What is that? HCG, human, I'm going to butcher this, human chorionic gonadotropin or something like that. I don't know what that is. It used to be made from pregnant woman's ear, and now it's synthetic, but basically it's something that they use to kick your gonads into um, overdrive to keep producing hormones and things like that. So you take like a certain amount of that every other day or whatever, and you only eat Four to 500 calories, and you lose all this weight. Well, surprise, of course you're losing weight. One, you're starving yourself, but what HCG is doing and you this is your department more than it is mine, it keeps your hormones and metabolism going artificially through this, this hormone. Uh, or this yeah, it catalyst doesn't, for doesn't hormones doesn't sound like
1: a very good idea. It's
0: <laughs> obviously really bad for you, <laughs> yeah. right? The thing is, it works really well to lose tons of weight really quick because you're starving yourself and your metabolism's not slowing down into starvation mode because of this drug that you're taking. Yeah, and what happens when you stop taking it? Yeah, you get all kinds right. of effed up, I would imagine. Yeah, and so when I see things like that, and I then I see what you'd mentioned, which are overpriced ebooks, books uh, back in. Back in our original days, it was probably what, like, DVDs were on everything? It was like a 27-DVD set mm-hmm. about nonverbal communication. And then you get that product, because I've looked at everything. You get that product, and it's a four-day or five-day seminar run by some shisty internet marketer. And all it is is video of all the speakers coming on, talking, and then pitching their crap On video wearing their sweater vest at their learning annex 15 states away. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's that. And then in order to get the real secret, you got to go to their website and get the super secret. There's
1: always another velvet rope and another VIP room behind that one, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's the constant upsell. And I subscribe to a lot of these sites because I just like sort of forensically I'm, I'm like so interested I'm like I want to I want to I want to like sort of peer into the psychology and the sociology of like how this stuff works and I'm like I can't believe people like f- fall for this stuff
0: I can and but just to kind of forensically understand how they put the whole thing together I thought for a while the exact same thing right who's buying this dumb crap who's even listening to this stuff and the truth is, when I talk to friends of mine that are marketers, I try to hang out with really nice, good, well-meaning people. But you'll be in a room and you'll see some people and your friends will go, this is one of the guys who runs this other thing. And well, you then go, you find oh, out they're that. like big-time millionaires off yeah. like, this stuff that you think is – <laughs> So
1: it's always amazing to me it, anyway. It,
0: it, it's, it's, um, it's enough to drive you to homicide in some ways, especially when you see – people taking advantage of others in a way that's extremely unfair. Like, my one of my, and I put this in air quotes for those of you listening, favorite things is when somebody teaches you how to make money online, and you go, oh, so you're teaching people how to make money. How did you make all your money? Teaching people how to make money. And you go, wait a second, hold on. I'm trying to wrap my mind around this, and it's not happening. It's an Ouroboros Oh, is
1: it, what is it called? Yeah, or worse, like the snake eating its tail. It's a, yes. it's a it's a cycle of, yeah, the people who have built, there's a lot of people like that. And I'm sure some of that wisdom that they impart is, I have no judgment on that, but it is true. Like their business is teaching people to create a business like
0: theirs that teaches other people how to have an online business. Exactly, yeah. Which for me means, and that's all fine and good on its face. It's just, it's not my thing. I think it's a little shady. But if you, if you zoom in far enough, you go, well wait, so how did you make your first dollar? Well I made it teaching other people how to make their first dollar. So you lied. That's all there is to it, right? You lied telling people that you're rich and that you made it in this way so that you could sell this product. So really they've never had a real incentive to make their product work. They've only had incentive to market it better, which is completely backwards in my opinion. Well it's just it's it's all it's built on marketing not on an actual business. And this is why I love telling people don't buy anything from us, just listen to the show, because since I'm not selling anything, the only thing that speaks is your own results, whether you apply it or not. If you don't apply it and you don't do it, then that sucks for you and doesn't suck for me. If you apply and it works, it's great for you and it's great for me. So it's win all around. And I can sleep at night because... I'm not worried like, oh, you didn't apply this thing you learned? Tough crap. I'm driving home with my Maserati. Can't talk. Bye. Mm-hmm. And that's what I see all these guys as.
1: Right, right. All right. So we got to wind this down. Yeah. But maybe you can uh, leave everybody with, you know, one, one – like what do you see – what is like the most typical kind of consistent strain of individual that comes to you who needs help? And and what do you just wish like, oh, if they, if they just – Knew this, like they wouldn't even need me. Like if they could just understand that their life would be so much better if they just did X, or could understand why the way that I've come to see it. Okay, can so you answer that, or yeah, is that too amorphous?
0: It, 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 no, I think I can do this, and you can just stop me. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a practical, a very practical drill to address something that I think is a really common fallacy or misconception. Um, so, what a lot of people. Worry about is how do I make a good first impression or start a conversation and they are always like, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? And this is something that I've always thought I need to learn this I need to learn what to say and if you're shy It's about not knowing what to say and if you're quiet It's about not knowing what to say and if you don't know how to speak to people It's about not knowing what to say and it never is it never is that and so the reason that I I Talk about this so much is because I think that first impressions are actually made I I don't think. I know that first impressions are actually made non-verbally. It has nothing to do with what you say or don't say. And if you don't believe me, you can walk down your nearest street and find yourself making quick little judgments about everybody that walks by. It doesn't have to be like... That girl, oh, no thank you. It can be a judgment like, that guy's really tall. It looks a little scary. Mm, this guy's tattoos. I wonder what his past is like. These judgments happen instantly. It's part of the way that we were evolved. It's no, a safety concern. They evolved before language evolved. Exactly, exactly. And so we have this built in. Every person has it. Anybody who says they don't judge people based on their looks is lying to themselves mostly and probably to others. So since we know that nonverbal communication is what dictates the first impression, what we know is that our nonverbal communication gives off signals and we're communicating whether we want to or not. And so in order to communicate better or more confidently, we have to have great nonverbal communication. And so what people do is they go, great, got it. All right, chest back, shoulders up, chin up. Now I'm going to go to that networking event or this mixer or this job interview, and I'm going to have great nonverbals, great first impression. Check, check. Thanks, Jordan. Not quite. Because what happens is they walk into the room, and they start having the conversation, and then slowly but surely they start to shrink a little bit, and they default back to their computer working position or their – I feel intimidated position Mm -hmm. or whatever sort of situation that they're in their body starts to tell and communicate that because our bodies are terrible at lying and they always reflect our emotional state Mm -hmm. almost always reflect our emotional state. So what that means is in order to keep great positive open nonverbal communication while we're actually doing something else because we can't multitask we have to build it in as a habit and so we do what we have is called the doorway drill and what this is is. Put some different colored post-it notes up at eye level on your doorways inside your house. Those will break the pattern of you just walking through the doorway absentmindedly. And every time you walk through that doorway and you notice that post-it note, stand up straight, chest up, shoulders back, chin up, smile on your face. And you don't have to exaggerate it. You'll just look like a a total idiot if you do that. But if if you create that positive open body language and you do that every time you walk through a doorway in your own house, you start to relegate this to your quote-unquote lizard brain right it becomes autopilot and this is great because the next time you walk into a networking event or starbucks or whatever that open positive nonverbal communication should be your default now Mm -hmm. that's great it does great create a really great first impression on other people but what's more important is the other side of that virtuous cycle so you've you've created great outgoing communication now on the other side of that cycle We know just from the same thing of walking down the same concept, walking down the street and making those judgments about people. People are making judgments about us now. However, instead of there's the guy with the slopey back that's clearly working on the computer all day, it's there's the upright, smiley, open, confident, friendly, whatever type of positive attributes you attribute to people with great nonverbal communication. That's now being attributed to you. And we know also that other people's judgments oftentimes guide our behavior not necessarily their judgment but the way that they treat us so if they treat us differently like more friendly more confident Mm -hmm. more interested or interesting or attractive even then they they start to treat us that way on the regular we start to behave a little bit more that way and it reinforces our verbal and nonverbal communication Mm -hmm. in that way and this isn't some sort of like hoopla visualize it and it will be that way Again, if you don't believe me, just try it. You have nothing to lose. You're going to end up with a straighter back. Worst case scenario.
1: Yeah, I got that. All right. So we've been sitting here for an hour and a half. What has my nonverbal
0: communication told you about about me? I mean, I've uh, you know, I'm biased by the fact that I like yeah. you. So like, there's that. Um, but I, what I what I actually really appreciated about your verbal and nonverbal is you're you're a skeptical guy, and also you're not um, you're you are not you you do not sacrifice your and this isn't a mm. cold read or anything you don't sacrifice your credibility for anything which I think is a freaking great idea when you're doing a show um, I take a lot of flack for it not from my listeners who appreciate it but I think from a lot of guests. Because if you don't call people out on things like what makes your stuff different from other, you know, shysters online, you won't get it. I mean, honestly, your nonverbals are great because you're an athlete and you're probably used to standing upright and running 100 miles at a time. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's generally really good. I don't know what your lower back says at the end of the day. It might be screaming. Yeah. But uh, you're really obviously in great shape and very healthy that always contributes really well to nonverbals and it is probably one of the reasons why we evolved communication nonverbally first one it predates language but two any indicator of health is going to indicate healthy offspring so i just i know i just made that weird but you indicate it. Yeah, you're, no, I was like I gay. was like
1: worried about what you might say about what, you know, like what should I do differently than what I'm doing? I think, you know, for me, the way I think about this, it, it's sort of I think of it from the inside out and, and kind of what you just spoke to. And I, I think you agree with that, but also you're you're trying to look at how I can how you can change state. By going outside in, right? So yeah. these are like out, outward manifestations, physical behaviors that you can adopt that will have a, a, a state change on your internal sense of self, right? Yes. But I think in terms of creating something, you know, that is real and sustainable, it has to it come, has from, to come from the inside. So like, yeah, I don't really, I'm not really thinking about like how I'm sitting. You don't because need to, yeah. I've, I've done whatever I've done to be in a place where I just sit the way that I sit right it's i would and I, then there's things yeah. I could do better like I don't you know when i go in and i deal with like i've plenty of work to do believe me i'm not like saying i have any of this figured out because i don't always navigate social situations as as gracefully or as you know sort of opportunely as i should um, but you know maybe I, I should think about these things more i don't really think about them that much well
0: i i want to agree with you and add to this right you're you're 100% right you, you got to do the internal work and and that's always what matters more the reason that the nonverbal stuff is important is because when I'm looking at somebody, I'm only giving it the 51%, right? I'm I'm looking at the guy with a tattoo on his arm, and I'm not thinking, huh, well, you know, maybe he got that when he was young, and he thought it's stupid now, and he doesn't want to remove it because he's saving up for a new car. No, we just go, tattoo, maybe dangerous, next, right? That's what our brain is doing. So I want to just caution people and don't go, well, that person's slouching slightly, so all these negative associations are probably true. Mm. It's not the case. It's it's merely when we do things like the doorway drill and we try to have great nonverbal communication all we're doing is trying to spark a 51 percent positive versus 51 percent maybe negative impression that we're making it's not oh well this person they looked this way and their chin was at a ten and a half degree angle upward they must do this and this and this must mean something about them if you're sitting in that chair and you're uncomfortable. You might just sit a little differently. It has mm-hmm. no real reflection on your personality. It might have a reflection on some of your internal state, blah, blah, blah. But as any hostage negotiator, interrogator, super spy person will readily acknowledge, you can't really read people's minds by reading their body. You can only take an educated guess. And anybody who tells you otherwise is completely full of crap. Mm-hmm good talking to you man
1: likewise man this is fun yeah cool super fun awesome so if you're digging on jordan the best way to connect with him is the art of charm podcast, podcast yeah just, you're already listening for theartofcharm.com
0: the right is, yeah that's, that's the website Right. that's right the art of charm search for it in the podcast app that you're listening right now i'd love to and again i stand by this just listen to some of the episodes and see if you like it i'm not asking you to buy or do anything Uh huh. right on man how do you feel? I feel good. I feel yeah. like I need to sit up straighter whenever I talk no, about you're, this No, you're,
1: you're sitting up pretty straight. <laughs> I don't have the skill set to analyze your uh, nonverbal communication. That's right. Maybe I it, need to have my pelvis tilted
0: 12 degrees more, and then, you know, right on. that means mo- something else. All right. Cool, dude. Thank you. Peace. Plants.
1: All right. We did it. What did you guys think? Take a moment and hit Jordan and I up on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram and share your thoughts, your comments, your perspective on that conversation. Before I let you go, a couple quick announcements. We just launched a new online meal planner service. It's called the Plant Power Meal Planner. I'm so psyched about this. I'm so proud of what we built in cooperation with the team at Lighter. If this is new to you, if you haven't heard me talk about this yet, basically it's thousands of plant-based recipes right at your fingertips unlimited meal plans and grocery lists. Everything is totally personalized and customized based on your goals, your food preferences, your allergies, your time constraints, robust customer support from a team of experts. There's even grocery delivery in 22 metropolitan areas via Instacart. Early feedback has been amazing. Thousands of people are already on board. People are really digging it. Uh, So positive, uh, the response, the early response. And I'm really psyched about that. All of this is available for just $1.90 $1.90 a week when you sign up for a year, basically 99 bucks a year or 14 bucks a month. Uh, you can learn more and sign up by clicking meal planner at the top of any page on my website, ritual.com, or typing in meals.ritual.com. And if you're already using it, if you're enjoying it, share your favorite recipes on Instagram. I've been resharing a couple of those and uh, that's been really cool to see people uh, digging on it. Also, we have a retreat coming up, Plant Power Ireland, July 24 through 31, at this incredible manor called Ballyvalaine on 90 acres in the Irish countryside. Seven days of transformation with Julie and I, as well as the happy pear lads that are going to come by for a couple days. We're going to cook amazing plant-based food. We're going to eat. We're going to run. We're going to meditate. We're going to do tea ceremony. We're going to have super intense workshops on everything from creativity to relationships to Uh, Nutritional instruction. We have Ayurvedic treatments. We have glamping tents. It's going to be super fun. It's also going to be intense because it's designed to really help you unlock that best self lying dormant within and transform your life wholesale. So, if this sounds like something you would be keen to attend, you can find out more at ourplantpowerworld.com. If you want to support the work that I do and this show, a couple easy ways to do it share it with your friends and on social media. You can leave a review on iTunes and click click that subscribe button on iTunes. Super important. Uh, We also have a Patreon uh, if you want to financially contribute to our work. And I really appreciate everybody who has done that. It's just amazing. If you would like to receive a free weekly email from me, I send one out every Thursday. It's called roll call, basically five or six resources that I've stumbled across over the course of the week. Generally a couple articles, a podcast I listen to, a documentary I watched, a product that I'm enjoying, uh, no affiliate links. I'm not trying to sell you anything. These are honestly just things that I've enjoyed or things that have inspired me or, um, informed me on subjects. And uh, I'm really digging sending this out every week. People seem to be enjoying it. So if you would like in on that, you can just make sure that you put your email in on, uh, on my website. There's plenty of places where you can just enter it and that will subscribe you to the email blast. Again, I'm not going to spam you. It's not about that. It's just helpful stuff. Also, when you're on my site, uh, we have signed copies of Finding Ultra. We got signed copies of The Plant Power Way. Pretty soon, we're going to have signed copies of This Cheese is Nuts, which is Julie's new book, which comes out in June. Please pre-order that now. Super important uh, to raise the visibility of the book. We're really proud of this book. It's next level. The photography is extraordinary. The recipes are insane. The idea that you can make plant-based cheese at home, that is just extraordinarily delicious. And Nutritious is a game changer. And so I'm really excited for that book to come out and for you guys to enjoy that soon. Also, we have t-shirts, we got swag, we got all kinds of other merch on the site. Uh, I wanna thank today's sponsors, Bolin Branch, the first honest and transparent betting company that only uses sustainable and responsible methods of sourcing and manufacturing. Go to bolandbranch.com today for $50 off your first set of sheets by typing in the promo code RICHROLL. And Harry's, a superior shave at an affordable price. Friends of the Rich Roll podcast can visit harrys.com forward slash roll to redeem your free trial set, which comes with a razor five-blade cartridge, shaving gel, and post-shave gel. All you got to do is pay shipping. I want to thank everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiolo for audio engineering and production. And also, he started working on the show notes and these scripts that I'm doing, he's doing a great job. Uh, Sean Patterson for help on graphics, all the motion graphics, the pictures that we put together for each episode. That's Sean. Thank you, Sean. And theme music, as always, by Analemma. Uh, thanks for the love, you guys. I'll see you back here in a couple of days. Until then, be well and uh, love wide and love deep. Peace. Plants. <laughs>